Hey, I got a couple announcements for you guys. Actually, I got like four of them. Um, the first one is the Archrit people. Woo! Yeah? Have you got your passport yet? Good. Make sure you send in that application to get your passport. Also, we are and we will have a meeting this Sunday after church. For those of you slackers that won't be there, it's okay. We'll give you stuff later. She has to feed her grandma. Hmm. That's weird. Um, also, baptism, if you are interested in getting baptized because you recently came to the Lord or you've never been baptized before, everybody shush your neighbor. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, if you've never been baptized before or if you want to be baptized, there are some flyers in the back that you can fill out um, or you can talk to Brad or I after tonight as well. Um, hey, Tim Halperin, am I saying that right? Anybody know? Yeah, Halperin, Halperin, yeah, American Idol. Um, he was a top 12 finalist for American Idol last year. Um, he is going to be performing at Westside High School at 8 p.m. this Saturday. So he... And it's for a really good cause. It's for cancer research. So you should go. Um, tickets are $10 at the door. So don't forget. Um, the last thing that I want to present to you guys is an opportunity. Helping pastors in Zambia. Oh. So what does that entail? What that entails is this is a challenge for leaders and students. Um, leaders, we are going to challenge you with your life groups or your small group um, to challenge every individual to bring $3 by April 11th. Um, and you don't have to do it. We don't want to force you to do it. We will challenge and encourage you to do it because here's what's going to happen. Um, basically, if, if every small group, we've got like, I believe it's 14 pastors that we are sponsoring in Zambia. It's like a three-year program. What they're going to get from your $3 is they're going to get a new NIV study Bible. Cool. And, and they're going to get an Africa Bible commentary. Ooh. So these pastors, what they're going to do is they're going to go through this, this three-year training program that we are helping um, train them and do those sorts of things um, by giving them a study Bible and a commentary. And then they will actually take that material back to their church there in Africa and use it. And teach the word of God. So if you are interested, leaders, if you want to do that with your small group, um, the challenge is $3 per student, which really isn't a lot. I know you all go to Starbucks every once in a while, right? That's more than $3. How about, I know some of you go to Sonic like every day, right? That's like $3 for happy hour. So $3, that's all we're asking. And I'm going to turn it over to my man, Brad. I love this guy. Man, I, I really love this guy. <laughs> he's whatever. I not only love working with him, but he's a really good friend. And I would like to pray over my really good friend right now. Oh. And uh, actually, whoa. Well, no, he's like I don't want sweet. you to pray. No, I. Just, you ready for this we're, short and sweet we're prayer? We're out of time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Lord, thank you for Brad. Thank you for placing this message on his heart. I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to hear your word and your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. That was awesome and still heartfelt and 
meaningful. Hope you guys are doing well. We're going to dive right in. Um, you guys have Bibles? 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 I hope you do. Turn to, uh, turn, the, turn to the book of Revelation. It's pretty easy. It's the last book. You all know that. Revelation chapter 21, um, starting right at the beginning of the chapter. Hope you guys are having a good week. I'm sure you're enjoying the weather. Anybody, there's no, is there any spring breaks this week? I know, I know next week, like, everybody and their dog has spring break. And last week, OPS, yours is over with already. But next week, it's like they're bringing out everyone. But nobody this week. Wow. Where, where is this? Where is this place that never has spring break ever? I think that's... That sounds like hell to me. So if you're new, if you're just joining us, this is week four in our series called Heaven and Hell. And uh, so we're, this is um, week two on heaven. Um, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, verse, or chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will in- inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Um, if you remember last week, James said, last week James taught on heaven, which is now if you, if you would die, you'd go to heaven, which is before you would, the Bible would say, before you get a resurrected body, a new body, 1 Corinthians 15 um, talks about how you would be present with the Lord, but absent from the body. But when Christ returns, everybody, everybody's body gets resurrected. You get a resurrected body like Christ had after he rose on the third day. And so what we're talking about tonight is the new Jerusalem, or the, the new heavens and the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, which is like where if you're a Christian, if you're a true Christian, you'd live forever in eternity. Um, so we're diving into this passage. Here's the thing. This book, this whole book of Revelation, Many of you kind of know about this, but this was written to a group of people, a group of churches. The initial audience was not, I don't think, for 2,000 years later for people to try to figure out codes and try to decipher all this weird um, end times kind of stuff. It was written to a group of churches in order to give them hope. And you guys, this group of churches um, were living toward the end of the first century. They experienced a whole lot of persecution and suffering under uh, this Roman emperor named Domitian. Domitian came after Nero. And... Uh, Here's the thing, it enabled them to face a whole lot of circumstances and suffering and hard times in their life, um, and it gave them hope, and that's what it does for us, especially this passage. Um, some of you, maybe you're really stressed right now because of a project at school, you're stressed because you are getting bullied at school, you're stressed because your parents are always fighting, you're stressed because of stuff going on at home or your future, or whatever, but you're worried, you're anxious, you're maybe stressed, and so we're talking about hope tonight. Um, so we're going to dive into three things, three main headings. 
I want to talk to you about. And I hope you all grabbed one of those um, sheets of paper, those note cards. If you don't, you still can right now. There's still time. Um, but here's the thing. The three things are, we're going to talk about a description of this living hope, the new heavens, new earth, a description of it, secondly, our desire for it, and then what delivers it. So first of all, a description of this living hope. What's it going to be like? So when it comes to the new heavens and new earth, the first thing I want you guys to notice is in verse 2, it actually says this holy city, the new Jerusalem, it, it uses the two words coming down. It says it's, it's coming down out of heaven from God. This is probably not what a lot of us think of when we think of heaven. Again, most of you, your idea is probably what James referred to last week of you're floating and you're on a cloud and there's harps and he mentioned diapers, um, togas maybe, everyone's wearing white. Um, I kind of pictured this just like, you're just kind of like, whoa, heaven, almost like, almost like everyone's high kind of feeling, like, this is awesome. My picture, no, seriously though, it's kinda, it kind of just seems like we're not going to do anything, right? Because isn't like work evil, and so aren't we just going to like sit around and be like, yeah, gold streets. Um, you guys, when it comes to heaven, um, John is giving us this vision of the end of history and the climax as recorded here in chapter 21, is not, is not individual souls floating out amongst um, the clouds, you floating anywhere. It's, it's this holy city coming down, coming down to earth. It's not a whole new planet. We're not living on some, uh, some planet out in outer space. It's some new, I mean, it's still called the earth. It's a new earth, a new heavens, a new earth. It's restored, it's renewed, but it's still called earth. It's just going to be new. Um, we're not just going to be these free-floating spirits and souls. We'll, we'll have new bodies, physical, redeemed bodies, perfect bodies. Um, you're like, Brad, how do you know that? We know that partly because the disciples saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Um, at the end of Luke, it records that all the disciples were in this locked room, and Jesus just shows up. They don't open the door for him, but he shows up, and you know what he... The first thing he asks, you should look this up sometime. This is like Luke, I think it's Luke 24, 42, 41, 42. He goes, do you have anything to eat in here? He's kind of like, look, I was just crucified. I was just dead for three days. You guys have something to eat? And they give him a piece of broiled fish and he eats it in their presence, is what it says at the end of Luke. Um, so somehow, resurrected body, he could like go through walls or whatever, shows up, but he eats fish. So we'll be able to eat things. There's real feasting, real living. It will be physical, tangible bodies, fun, and no more sin. It'll be awesome. Um, when you grow up, a lot of times, typically, maybe you've experienced this already in high school, when you're in college, when you're in your 20s maybe, you have these memories of some place, um, something, that, some place you maybe remember as, as a child. Maybe it was a favorite vacation spot that your family went on or the house that you grew up in. But a lot of times when you get older, you maybe remember these places, and if you ever go back there, um, it's just not quite the same. Like, sometimes you long for, like, this thing in your past, or maybe it was just this, this period or this year, you're like, you, maybe you're, like, drowning, and this is your junior year of high school, and you just, like, hate the workload, and you're like, ah, kindergarten, that was the good, that, that was so awesome, I just want to go back. But you know, back, you go back to kindergarten, and there's, I mean, you go back to these places, they're just not quite what you thought they were, um, you go, back to your, you go back to your old house that you grew up in, and it's, it's just kind of torn down and run down, and you're like, this is what I thought. Um, you guys, we long for stuff. We long for these, these, 
these feelings in our heart to be fulfilled. Um, you're maybe longing for like the family that you never had. Or maybe you don't really, you don't have a dad at home anymore, your parents are divorced. You long for the dad that you never had. Maybe you long for the body that you never had. And you're, not, you're just not happy with your body or, um, or the friends you never had. Or the, you long for the popularity that you never had. You long for a vacation, a house that you never had. And John says at the end of this book, at the end of it all, the climax of history, he says, it's coming. It's coming, and it's going to be amazing, and that should give us a living hope. So what will it be like? Um, first of all, restored relationships. Look at this. At verse 3, verse three it says, um, they heard a loud, he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. God is dwelling with men, and he will live with them. So what you get in this new heavens, new earth, Total restore relationships, but not just a renewed relationship with God the Father. Like, you guys, you've heard this before. Sin didn't just ruin our relationship with the Father, but sin um, broke relationships between e- each other. That's why there's fighting. We fight between each other. Sin um, destroyed the relationship, like, between us and, and nature, us and creation. So there's aging and there's disease. Um, there's, there's this brokenness between us and creation. Um, there's this brokenness within ourselves. That's because of sin, too. That's why we... Maybe you uh, deal with depression every once in a while or severe like discouragement or anxiety. Um, so th- these will all, these will all like, be renewed, be fixed. Um, sin, will, sin affects all these relationships. And uh, you, if you look at verse 4, it's not just a relationship with God. He says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no fighting, no um, pill popping because you have a headache, no more pain or suffering or anything. Uh, it says the, the old order, this old, this brokenness in the world is gone. So first of all, restored relationships. Secondly, restored city. You guys, this is phenomenal. The rest of the chapter, imagine a perfect city. Imagine a perfect environment. Glorious. Everything's like shiny and sparkling. And um, let me read this. this. The rest of the chapter, um, go with me to, uh, to verse 10. So John is writing this book, and he, most of it is a vision, but he gets this vision, verse 10 of chapter 21, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the, were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. It says, The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. Um, so a square, this cube city, 12,000 stadia, a little footnote at the bottom of my Bible, says that's 1,400 miles, 1,400 miles. Do you realize how huge of a city that is? I don't know how many miles it is from here to Lincoln, but it's, I don't know, what, 40, not even? Um, 1,400 miles, and that high and that wide uh, cube. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick. At the bottom of my Bible, it says that that is about 200 feet Imagine walls around a city 200 feet thick by man's measurement, which was 
which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper, and the city, you've all heard this before, was made of pure gold, as pure as glass. That's not just in fairy tales or something, it's in the Bible. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone, and I'm not going to read all those stones. Skip down to verse 21. The twelve gates were made of twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty, get this, and its lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamb, and the lamb is its lamp. Um, that's going to be awesome. Serene, peaceful. The book of John talks about Jesus going to prepare a place for each of us. Um, you will have a place, um, the perfect city. There will come a day where we will feel in heaven just as alive as we do now. In fact, I'd say infinitely more alive than we are right now. Um, the brokenness will all be fixed. The junk will all be taken away. Everything will be made new says this chapter, um, and it's coming. Again, you guys, not these individual souls floating off into outer space somewhere to occupy a planet. No, and this talks about it coming down to earth now here. So that's the description. Secondly, um, our desire for this hope. I want you to think about how, how practical this is. Some of you are maybe like, wah, wah, who cares? Revelation, I'm only 16 and I got my whole life ahead of me. I'm not gonna die for a long time. You're like, whoop-de-doo about, you know, the end of time. I want you to see that this is, this is a life-transforming living hope for you now. And I want to talk about how we need hope. I was, I was working out on Monday at the Y. Um, Leslie and I, a lot of times, go to the YMCA out west, the armbrushed YMCA. And I, was, I don't really like to run, but I like to lift weights. And uh, for some reason, I just had this thought. When you're, when you're lifting, there's sometimes some girls in that kind of section of the gym. But a lot of times, it's just guys, and we, we have our earbuds in, and we're just jamming out to music. And I just had this thought of like, you know, I thought it's really, it's really honestly good to work out, to get a fit body, to try to be healthy. Um, I love it. I just love working out. And, but there's almost this sense of we're all like really in pretty close proximity, and yet we don't talk to each other at all. We don't really know each other. And I just had this thought of like, you know what? I bet most of these guys in here, including me, like we want to be fit. But I just had this sense of, like, we're all just longing for something more. Like, we're there, and, like, I'd love to have this, like, super, like, ripped body. But I guarantee you, you could be the most fit person in the world, and you still wouldn't be happy, right? It's like we're all in there, like, trying to, like, but we just know that day after day we're starting to get older. I mean, some of these guys are, I I know, at least in their 40s and 50s. And you just know, like, your body's starting to decay, and um, it was just almost, it almost sounds like a depressing thought, but I just had this feeling of like, we are so longing for something more. We're here trying to keep our bodies in shape and keep our bodies from aging, but we're just hoping for more. I want you to write this down, you guys. This is an incredible um, principle. I don't know what you call it, but write this down. The way you live now is controlled by what you believe about your future. The way you live now is controlled by what you believe about your future. Because you know how people say like, Live every day like it's your last. <laughs> well, well, like, and you're like, sweet, I'm going to do that. No, because here's the thing. It, now, if you knew without a doubt, tomorrow night at midnight, you are going to die, um, I guarantee you, you would live differently tomorrow. Like, some people are like, I wouldn't do anything different. I'd go, I'm, I'm living that way now. No, I gar- if you knew that, I guarantee you, you would do different stuff tomorrow than you did today. Here's the problem. 
You can't know that. You never, you cannot know that. And so the reason we don't live like every day is our last is because we know that today is not our last day. And it could be, but you can't know when you're going to die. Even the person that gets cancer, the doctor always says, like, you've got two years. You've got six months. You've got four months. But the reason we don't is because you know you're not necessarily going to die tomorrow. And so you should probably just do your homework, right? And you should probably just do the laundry, right? And you should probably not squander your entire life savings because what if you don't die tomorrow night at midnight? And so you talk like that, but we're controlled by what we believe about our future. Let me share this story with you. There's these two men. I love this. There's two men working in two different factories on the assembly line. And, uh, and you know what it's like working in factories, right? I mean, some of you high schoolers, you're like, you've been factory workers, right? I don't know. But you know, okay, so, but it's tedious and boring on the assembly line. You're doing boring stuff, a dingy lit room. And, uh, but here's the thing. One of these factories is much better off than the other. So I'm just going to say, for the sake of, I love Volvos. So one of, these, one of these factories is a Volvo factory. Volvos are like exquisite cars, you guys. They're like, ugh. I was in a Volvo once um, in junior high. This, we were at a wedding in South Dakota. This guy took, he worked at a dealership. I promise you we went like 150 miles an hour. I was scared out of my mind. The other factory is a, GM, is a GM factory. No offense if you drive a GM car. I'm sorry. I drive a Ford. But Volvo factory, GM factory. So here's the thing. All day long, both men work 10 hours a day um, screwing a nut onto a bolt. All day long. But the guy who works at the GM factory is going to make a yearly salary of, of, of $30,000 a year. The guy, on the other hand, who works this uh, boring job at the Volvo factory is going to make $300,000 a year. And you know what's going to happen, right? So the guy at the GM factory works like a week, maybe two weeks, and he goes, I can't take it. I can't take it. It's so boring and tedious. I quit. This is stupid. I hate this job. On the other hand, the guy that works at the Volvo factory, he's like, this is the best job I've ever had in my life. For the pay, $300,000? Are you kidding me? I'll screw nuts on bolts all day long. All day long. Two, two guys doing the exact same thing, but because their futures are, because they know that what they're getting in the end is different, makes all the difference in the world. The way you live now is controlled by what you believe about your future. We're all hoping in something, you guys, and that something is what propels us to keep moving forward. That's why you go to school every day. If you knew you were going to die in a year, you're like, I wouldn't go to school. You're going to school, get an education so you can get a job someday so you can make money to do whatever. Do you believe, here's the question, do you believe that at the end of this life, you simply rot? And that someday the sun's going to burn out, the earth is going to be burned up, that this life is all there is, that no one's going to remember anything that anyone's ever done? Or... Do you believe in a new heavens and new earth, in even judgment day, that no one's going to get away with anything because there's going to be justice, that all things in this life actually matter? Because you guys, maybe you don't think about this that much, but those are two utterly different ways to live, and it, it matters to think about this stuff. It makes a difference. Depending on what you believe about your future, you're going to live in one of these two ways. I want to give you this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. We've quoted C.S. Lewis a lot in this series, but he's written a lot about heaven and hell. And uh, again, this guy wrote the Chronicles of Narnia books. Maybe you haven't heard of him, but you've seen those movies. This is from uh, the book Mere Christianity. He writes, 
Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, get this, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. We have this desire for wholeness, for all things to be made right, for true peace to come, and a whole lot of people are just like, I don't believe that's possible. Um, but let me tell you this, even the fact that you long for the deepest desires of your heart, that you have that craving, that desire, even that, I think, points to something, points to the fact that it actually exists out there somewhere. Um, one more quote we're going to throw up on the screen from Lewis. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You guys, we do this all the time. We go from one thing that satisfies to the next, to the next, to the next, because we always get let down. Um, that leaves us with the final point. What delivers, what delivers this living hope? And the answer is, you have to believe in both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to believe in both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And really, um, both of these are, are alluded to in this passage um, in Revelation 21. So first of all, you have to understand and believe in the cross, the death of Christ. Look at the second half of verse 6. If you still have your Bibles open. He says, To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And uh, if you understand this, you know, John... The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, also wrote the Gospel of John, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the, epistle, the, the letters of John. But so in John chapter 4, we did a whole series on this, you guys, very first series of this year at Oasis. Jesus runs into this woman at the well, right? And uh, Jesus goes to this woman and says, um, I want to give you living water. I'll give you living water that will never leave you thirsty again. And of course, this woman initially thinks he's talking about physical water and Jesus basically tries to convince her, like, I'm really talking about eternal life here. And uh, he offers this woman a foretaste of what is to come. He basically says, you can, you can experience the deepest longings of your heart now through me. And you remember this? And she realizes who he is, and she goes and tells all the townspeople. Um, you guys, Jesus offers that foretaste to us now. And he's, he's giving us, he's saying, you can have this li living water. He says, without cost, it's free. And you know why it's free? You all know it, it's free because Jesus, when he went to the cross, and when he hung on the cross, he said a number of things. But one thing he said was, I thirst. I thirst. And he wasn't just talking about physical thirst because right after that he said, my God, my God, like why have you forsaken me? The thing is, Jesus offers us living water, eternal life, for free because on the cross, Jesus Jesus thirsted. He, was, he experienced cosmic thirst, you guys. He experienced eternal 
thirst. He experienced what we deserve for us. Or you could put it this way. Jesus experienced on the cross cosmic hopelessness. Like We all long for all this stuff, for the, the longings of our heart. And Jesus lost it all. He lost the things that mattered most. He lost the face of God on the cross. The crazy thing is we lost that too because of our sin and rebellion. But Jesus took that penalty, paid for it in full, which is why it's free. It's free to all of us. Half the world out there is following religions and worldviews and their own way of thinking that says, i got to earn this. i got to strive hard. I've got to work for it. Even Christians out there are saying, yeah, but I'm just, not, I'm just not keeping up with my standards. I'm just not reading the Bible enough. You guys, it's free. It's been paid for. He experienced the hopelessness that we deserve so that we could have hope forever. But it's not just, it's not just even the death of Christ. Easter's coming up a week from Sunday. It's also about the resurrection of Christ. He's, um, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that Jesus is the first fruits of what's to come. The first fruits were the first parts of the harvest, the first grains, the first grapes from the vine. He's the first fruits. So we're all going to get resurrected bodies, new bodies. And so what does that mean for now? That means any pain and suffering you guys go through now, it's only going to get better. You know what the resurrection is? It's a promise that the best part of life is still to come. No matter what happens to you, you could take a bullet to the face and not to be morbid, but new heavens, new earth, baby. Like, you're with the Lord. And that's hard when, you know, when you have loved ones die here on earth, that's hard, but you guys, the best stuff in life is yet to come. Nothing can truly end your life because Jesus took death and he put an end to it. He offers us that living hope. Revelation 21, 6 and 7. I'm just going to close by reading this. He said to me, it is done. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. And he who overcomes will inherit all of this. And he says, I will be their God and you'll be my sons and my daughters. Um, I hope you guys, having a hope matters. I hope you own it. I hope you believe in it. I hope you talk to your friends that do not have this hope about it. Let's pray. Jesus, I know of God numerous people that would say to me, like, bull. They would just say, there's no evidence of this resurrection. They'd say, heaven, are you kidding me? There's no proof of that. And I God, I might say in return, there's no proof that it doesn't exist. And the Bible talks about it all over the place. And where's the proof that the Bible's not true? And Why do we always live based on our own opinions and how we were raised and not based off your word that transcends time that's been here for thousands of years? God, I pray that we would operate our lives living under this, this living hope. God, I thank you for it. I thank you, God, that the best parts of life are still to come. God, we long for it. As creation groans, God, so often we groan. We're tired of the toil and the grind of life and day after day of school and homework. But Jesus, you took it all. You thirsted so that our thirst could be quenched. You were hopeless so that we could have hope. We thank you for that, Lord. We trust you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.